What's up, folks? I'm your host, Keith Mattier, and welcome to the Normalized Excellence Podcast, where I provide you with information grounded in research and proven methods to inspire you to focus on the process of high achievement rather than the outcome alone. This podcast is designed to help you double down on your values, learn some new tips and tactics, and give you some inspiration and motivation to normalize excellence across all aspects of your life. Thank you for joining me, and now it's time to normalize excellence. Let's get it. What's up, Excellence Tribe? This is the next to last episode of the first season of the Normalized Excellence Podcast. And I just want to super duper duper thank everybody who has been tuning in and turning up with me over the past few weeks. Their encouragement that I've been getting from y'all and the community that I've been able to continue to extend and establish with y'all has been super dope. And it's enhancing my life. Like I, I, I just have to say that I'm super grateful for that. Whenever I don't feel like recording, uh, an episode, which is definitely something that I dealt with a lot this week. I just think about how we're metaphorically taking shots to normalize excellence and turn up juice and how we're all in this thing together. So I just uh, I appreciate that to the max. And I feel like I had to I had to get on the mic and, and say that and express that appreciation in the little prelude or intro to this episode. But nevertheless, as you know, We've been using lessons from sports to convey broader metaphors, tactics, and mindsets that we can use in our life to optimize our performance and our well-being. This entire season, we've mapped out our week as if it's a sports game that has four quarters, a pregame, a halftime, a postgame, and now it's time to talk about what to do after the game or after our week is over. This week, I'm going to unpack some backstory about Kobe Bryant and his 2010 championship run to illustrate the point that we should be reviewing the tape or analyzing the things that are going well and the things that aren't going well in our lives, at least on a weekly basis, but hopefully also on a daily basis via journaling. The content of this episode is one of my favorites just because when I originally wrote the script, I felt like a super duper 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 true Kobe fan because I was doing so much research and I was able to relive and remember some of the moments of Kobe winning that 2010 championship and to dig even deeper and learn parts of the journey that I didn't even know, but that I had only had memories of when I was a young jit watching Kobe and the Celtics battle it out uh, on TV. But that it just really deepened and enhanced my appreciation for those memories and for Kobe and for the lessons that I've learned from him and tried to glean from him and all that type of stuff. So I apologize in advance. I laid on pretty thick in explaining the backstory um, to this, but hopefully you vibe with it just as much as I did when I did this research. And hopefully you can apply or still the tactic of reviewing your week, because I think it's one of those tactics that. It's so high leverage in my personal life and in, in lives of people that are, are close to me, uh, whether that be Lexi, whether that be Jared, whether that be whoever. So uh, let's get it. Story time. Review the tape. In 2008, Kobe was at the top of his game. In addition to his usual accolades, such as all-star performances, being a top five scorer each season, or being widely regarded as a top five player in the league, Here are a few more notable things that happened during the 2007-2008 season. First, he won his first and only MVP award. Many fans and analysts, including me, feel like he should have won more, especially over Steve Nash. But that's another story for another time. Second, 
He returned to the finals for the first time since Shaq was traded away from the Lakers in 2004. So he's trying to prove that the organization chose the correct player to build a franchise around and that he is that franchise piece. And three, 08 is the first time he accepts the invite to join the Olympic team and he helps win an Olympic gold medal and is co-MVP of the gold medal game. Despite these various awards, Kobe left the end of the season underaccomplished in his own eyes. His lack of achievement by his standards left him both bitter and on a mission. Why though? In the 08 finals, Kobe and the Lakers faced what many people dub as the first modern day NBA super team, the 08 Celtics. The Celtics, man, that year it was crazy. They had four all-stars on the team and three of those players could have retired that day and still gone to the Hall of Fame. So losing to the Celtics is nothing to cough at. But it was for Kobe, especially the manner in which they lost. So in that game six of the finals, Kobe and the Lakers, they got ran off the floor by the Celtics. I think the score was around like 131 to 92, which is the second largest margin of a victory or loss in the NBA Finals game history. So the Lakers, they went out bad and Kobe, he remembered that experience so distinctively. Uh, there is a newspaper article where he said that in the arena, the Celtics were playing Don't Stop Believing" by The Journey. And he would train all offseason to that song so that he could not be in that moment again. That's some crazy mama mentality folklore right there. So he was deeply motivated. He was deeply motivated by that embarrassing finals loss that ended the series. And he does what he always does. And he gets in his bag, trains, goes mama mentality, and he returns the next season with a vengeance. If one stat shows you how committed a team is to winning the championship, it should be their win and loss record. Well, the Lakers won 65 out of their 82 games and were so dominant that they had the best record in the NBA and even won 11 more games than the second highest seed or the next seed in the Western Conference. But I also want you to keep in mind that Kobe undoubtedly had more on his mind than bouncing back from an embarrassing defeat to the Celtics. There were murmurs about how good Kobe actually was historically and more recently. Ludicrous, I know, especially when we think about it in retrospect. Rest in peace to the GOAT, but it happened. Well, Kobe went out and he proved how good he was during the 2008-2009 regular season and the playoffs. In the playoffs, he averaged 30 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds, and 2 steals per game. He even set the record for the most 30-point games in a single postseason with 14 of those bad boys. He led the Lakers past Dwight Howard, the reigning defensive player of the year that year, and the Orlando Magic uh, to win uh, the finals four games to one. In total, Kobe's performance catapulted him to his first finals MVP award, and he deserved it. He had accomplished what he set out to do. Actually, not quite yet. Kobe did not have more rings than Shaq. He didn't have more rings than Tim Duncan. He didn't even have as many rings as his idol, Michael Jordan, even though that's a little bit higher of a higher stakes. And according to sports analysts and Celtics fans alike, the primary reason the Celtics didn't make it to the 2009 finals is because their players battled various injuries. Therefore, Kobe wouldn't have won a ring in 2009, according to Celtics fans, because if they were healthy, uh, they would have had something to say about that. Regardless of if a healthy team, Celtics team would have made it to the finals that year or not, Kobe still felt like he had another mountain to climb. Be the best of his peers, beat the Celtics, and chase MJ for the best player to ever play the game. Well, let's fast forward to the following year or to the next year. A healthy Celtics team and a Kobe-led Laker team both returned to the finals. Let the best team win. 
Kobe made sure that he led his team along each step of the way, even amidst various injuries that range from having to have his knee drained multiple times throughout the playoffs to wearing a finger cast to support his index finger that had missing cartilage and bone damage on his shooting hand, the money hand. In game five with the series tied at two games apiece, his teammates pooped the bed so much that Kobe had to score 21 points in a row just to keep the game close. Kobe had a game high 38 points and despite these efforts, the Lakers lost the game. That meant that momentum had swung to the Celtics, who were now up three games to two. So it's not looking too hot for Kobe. Because if he's playing hero basketball and scoring nearly half of the team's points and they still lose, that means either his teammates are going to have to show up and do their freaking job, or he's going to have to do something even more miraculous during game six and seven to even have a chance at winning. Well, he doesn't get close to 38 points in the next game. His stat line is 26 points, 11 rebounds, four assists, four steals. Very solid stats, but nothing otherworldly. Did they win? <laughs> they did, actually. <laughs> so holy crap, that means it's a game seven then. That's lit, that's lit. I'm, I'm with it, I'm with it, I'm with it. What happened during game seven, though? Kobe's stats, 23 points, 15 rebounds, two assists, one steal. Again, solid stats, but nothing otherworldly. Did the Lakers win this time? Yeah, they did. But how? How did these solid but unremarkable stats overcome the Celtics? Celtics fans will tell you it's because Kendrick Perkins, their starting center, got hurt. But like a sports columnist said, don't buy it. Perk only averaged six points and six rebounds in the six games he did play in. Contrastingly, some fans and diehard Kobe fans at that will tell you that he was still better than his opponents despite strong but non-jaw-dropping stats. And it's probably a little bit of both, but it probably has much less to do with those things in particular and probably something more to do with the game planning that went into the preparation for each game. In the Game 7 post-game conference, a reporter asked Kobe about the help he got in the middle of the series and how that helped him throughout the series. Here's Kobe on that help. Jonathan Abel, New York Times. After Game 2, you had Tim and Mike Procopio uh, flyouts of Boston. How, how much of a role, even all playoffs, did you issue? You accused my Jack Bauer. Gave me all the edits. All the history of scouting reports and defensive rotation on the Celtics. He, he was my eyes and ears. So when I, when I played the game, you know, I used all the scouting reports and all this information. It was a huge help for me. Was that that was all postseason? All postseason, particularly this series. Boston was a, was a huge problem, you know, for me personally. It was a huge problem. You know, I needed some extra eyes and ears to help me out and help me get through. The important thing to keep in mind here is Kobe is reviewing the tape after each game and making adjustments. That means he's taking the things that Procopio tells him and shows him in the footage, and he's implementing the advice with fidelity. But I need to do a little Google search on Mike Procopio. Okay, okay, Mike Procopio for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. Hmm, who the hell is Mike Procopio? According to my research, Mike Procopio is a sports nerd who loved basketball but never had a chance at playing in the league because he simply didn't have the athleticism. He's so unathletic. He's so unathletic. He probably never even made the middle school team. But athleticism isn't the only route to the league. I try and tell these young boys that, but they don't, they don't listen, you know what I mean? But that's in the there. Legend has it that Procopio was a master at his craft and that he ingested the most Celtic footage of anyone on the planet. He was a craftsman, and his craftsmanship allowed him to make it to the NBA through an alternative route. He turned his hobby into a job as a scout for the Boston Celtics in 2002. Scouts do the dirty work. 
They really know how to decompose a player's game and a team's tendency because they watch film and games over and over and over again with their eyes tuned to specific players and also the team's tendencies. But in 2006, Procopio, he left the Celtics to join Attack Athletics, which is led by Tim Grover. Tim Grover, by the way, is MJ and Kobe's personal trainer. While at Attack Athletics, Tim Grover put Procopio and Kobe in contact, and Kobe benefited from it tremendously. Procopio edited clips of Kobe, the Lakers, and their opponents using film from Synergy Sports Technology. When it was finished, Kobe was delivered a package of his touches, those of his teammates in different situations, and it was separated quarter by quarter, so it was just neatly packaged. Here's a couple pieces of evidence from the 2010 playoffs that prove how remarkable Procopio's personalized help was. I'm reading both of these um, evidence from different articles that I plucked. When Oklahoma City's Russell Westbrook stymied the Lakers at the start of their first round series, Bryant switched to him on defense. Before game five, Bryant and Procopio discussed how to defend Westbrook. Force him to his left, Procopio told Kobe. That's where most of his turnovers come from. If he gets to his right, he turns from a streaky shooter into a solid one. In the pivotal game, Westbrook turned the ball over eight times and missed nine of his 13 shots. The Lakers went on to win 111-87. to In Game 7 of the 2010 Finals, Kobe struggles throughout the game but makes adjustments to beat the Celtics. Rajon Rondo comes out a couple years ago and he says this about those adjustments. It's interesting. I just found out something about Kobe, what he did in the 2010 Championship Game 7, how he broke the game down and figured out how to beat us. I can't give you the insight on that, but I just found that out. It kind of pissed me off a little bit. It's part of it, but it's craziness. It's amazing how he thinks about the game and it's fun to know that. I can't give you my source. In both of these situations and others that probably aren't even reported, that I can't find anything on on YouTube or or Google, Kobe was able to leave a footprint on the series because he had advanced tactics to review the tape and glean vital information to utilize and act on. But enough of this long, drawn-out story. How is reviewing the tape related to our life? Although we may not have a Mike Procopio giving us advanced analytics and data on our lives, we can still use the underlying strategy of reviewing our performance to enhance our personal lives and our well-being. When you review the tape, you can freeze frame the stuff that's going on. You can freeze frame the stuff that's going well and that you need to replicate. And you can freeze frame the stuff that's going poorly and that you need to get rid of. Here are a few examples for me. I'm typically good on Monday when I'm ahead of the curve and I've scripted and planned out the entire day and there aren't any surprises. So I go to great lengths to make sure that I'm doing the same stuff on Sunday that allows for me to have those smooth Mondays. That's ironing my clothes. That's making sure that I figured out what I'm going to eat every day that week, etc., etc. Here are a couple examples in my life. I like to iron my clothes for the entire week, so I'm not making decisions about what clothes I need to to put on. Um, I'm scheduling out all the calls that I'm going to make in the evening to catch up with people or what things that I have to get done on that particular week. Um, I'm figuring out exactly what I'm going to eat, and I go grocery shopping so that I don't have to think about what food I'm going to eat that week. When you review the tape, you can freeze frame the stuff that's going on. You can freeze frame the stuff that's going well and that you need to replicate. And then you can freeze frame the stuff that's going poorly so that you can eliminate it. So I'll give you a couple examples for me. I'm typically good on Mondays. And at the beginning of the week when I'm ahead of the curve and I've scripted and planned out the entire day because there is no surprises for me. So 
I've already ironed out all of my clothes for the week. I've already determined everything that I'm going to eat for that week. Phone calls are going as expected on Monday and Tuesday. The evening phone calls that I've scheduled, everything is just smooth. There's no entropy. There's no craziness, crazy shenanigans going on. So I always try and make sure that I use Sunday to really plan everything so that the week goes as smoothly as possible at the beginning of the week. Because if I have if I establish the lead and do well early in the week, then that just increases my chances of the week going well. But then there are some stuff that I need to eliminate. And when I put everything in, uh, in my journal, when I put everything in my habit tracker and I review the tape and I say, oh, wow, I've missed journaling on Friday a couple times this month. Why did that happen? Oh, wow. I went out, went out with my friends, went out clubbing or something like that. Oh, dang. I need to make sure that uh, I'm, I'm still intact enough when I get back and still awake enough that I can journal or I need to journal before I, I go out. That's an example. Another example is me missing breakfast on Thursdays and Fridays. So typically Thursday and Friday, I'm, I'm tired of that protein shake by then. So what I had to make an adjustment. What I had to do is I had to put different fruit in the protein shake so that I have a different shake and it's a different flavor and different taste. It's not too redundant. Or what I did a couple months ago is I would just eat Chick-fil-A or I eat my favorite uh, breakfast spot on, on Friday. So that allowed me to introduce some variety. But how can you review the tape? You can use various apps, technologies, or low-tech solutions such as just a handwritten journal to review the tape to identify your own strengths and weaknesses, but it all revolves around tracking your habits and finding your corner man, finding your wham partner, finding your Procopio so that you can identify your blind spots and your bright spot so that you can eliminate the stuff that's not going hot and then so you can double down on the stuff that is going well. So I'm relatively old school and low tech with it, so I use an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, and a journal to get everything in. And then I just have my weekly scorecard. So how can you review the tape? Two pieces of advice. The first is you can use whatever app, technology, or low-tech solutions uh, to review the tape and identify your own strengths and weaknesses. But it's all going to revolve around you tracking your habits actually scoring your habits and finding your corner man, your wham partner, your Procopio, so that you can identify your blind spots and your bright spots so that you can eliminate the stuff that's not going too hot and then so you can double down on the stuff that's going pretty well. So me personally, I'm pretty old school and low tech with it. So I'll journal uh, either on my laptop or I'll journal sometimes by hand. Most of the time over the last, I think about six months has been only on the laptop. I need to go back to handwritten journal to be honest but um i'll i'll journal then i'll transfer everything that i'm writing in my journal in terms of my habits to a spreadsheet so did i meditate did i do my affirmations did i do my visualizations did i work out did i eat breakfast etc 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 so for example i scored six out of seven this past week on journaling why didn't i journal on one of those days oh because i was going out that friday i went out um, so I know that I need to make an adjustment. That adjustment needs, I need to come back intact enough to actually journal and not skip it, or I need to journal beforehand. So I'm not going to miss it next week because I'm thinking about, I've reviewed the tape and I'm thinking about the adjustments that I need to make. 
And then uh, Jared and I will have our focus conversations or our WAM sessions on Sunday, and he'll help me. He'll help me uh, uh, hold me accountable and help me review the tape and brainstorm what the solutions could be. The second piece of advice is what I like to call a side-by-side. So whenever you have a blender in your daily task, do a a side-by-side comparison to when you perform that daily task well. And this, it, it sounds so simple. But it is so profound. So I got this tidbit from coaches who do film study with their players. They often show them how they messed up a play. And then they immediately show them how they did that play well. Or how another team did that play well. So that they can improve. And it's that gap. It's the difference between, oh, this is what happened when you messed up. And this is what happened when you executed well. Let's try and make sure that we're always executing in the way that's high, high performance, high leverage. Stuff like that. So doing that side by side allows you to compare. So if I'm going back to Sundays and and preparing for the week, I'm comparing the Sunday that's not going too hot. Oh, that's when I woke up 10 minutes before wham at 11 o'clock. So I wake up at 1050 and I didn't have time to do all the things that I need to get done that day. Oh, boom. Let me go back to waking up at eight o'clock on Sunday so that I can have those two to three hours before the wham session to get ready. So it's comparing the Stuff that's not too hot to the stuff that's hot. You get what I'm saying? I don't want to belabor the point. My challenge to you is to start reviewing the tape. Start tracking your habits so that you can see actually on a weekly basis, what did you do well this week? What didn't you do well this week? What adjustments do you need to make? And then when necessary, go ahead and do a side-by-side. Oh, let me compare it to... This week I was doing hot on this stuff. This week I wasn't doing hot. Oh, let me compare. Let me compare those. So that's my challenge to you. Review the tape. Until next time, kill the day. More life. Normalize excellence. This has been another episode of the Normalize Excellence podcast. If you have been inspired or motivated by something you heard today, definitely be sure to leave a four or five star rating and review.